Olofinjana to Lawrence. Played through for Fuller. Fuller's beaten Larson here. And Ricardo Ford scored for Stoke. Ten minutes to go. And it could yet be a celebratory night in the Potteries. Hello and welcome to episode 33 of the Wizards of Drivel podcast. What can you expect from this week's show? Well, in the first half of the podcast, you'll probably really enjoy yourself. The banter will be being knocked about nicely. We'll show glimpses of superb analysis and you'll think, wow, this show can really go places this season. But in the second half, we'll completely capitulate. The chat will be slow, we'll fail to find any rhythm, and before long we'll make shoddy mistakes and we'll be punished for them by completely ruining the correspondence section. You'll get angry, your weekend will be ruined, and you'll call for Cowlishaw out on Twitter. But you'll still listen next week though, won't you? In our defence, we have had an injury crisis. Ben is out, Chris is out, and so making an unexpected but more than welcome return to action this week, it's the Ibrahim Afalite of podcasting, Jason Martin. Hello. How are you feeling? Yeah, strange, strangely okay given yesterday's capitulation, as you say. Yeah, I think... It's been quite a week up in the potteries, hasn't it? Well, indeed. Uh, we'll start with the game midweek that we uh, are yet to cover. It feels like such a long time ago, uh, given the events of yesterday. But Southampton came to the Bet365 Stadium midweek. It was a nil-nil draw. And it it was a match entirely centred around one incident early on, the sending off of Marco Anatovic. Jason, how did you see the sending off? Well, I mean, it was. It looked like it was fueled, as many have said, fueled on the incident a few seconds before, where Ward Prowse sort of threw himself to the floor quite theatrically in a bid to win a penalty. And the general frustration of that, and I think the overwhelming frustration of starting the game slowly as well, probably got to Arnautovic amongst others, which led to him sort of, I say, lashing out. I don't. I do think it was a red card. Looking at it, I don't think there was the brutal intent of malice that some people thought, but I thought it was a bit silly and reckless. And he will sort of sit out the Christmas fixtures now, which is a big shame. But I do feel a lot of the frustration that went into that tackle came from what was an awful start to the game that probably began an hour before kickoff, to be honest, with the team, which was, from a fan's perspective, probably one of the most uninspiring lineups that we've put out this season. There was a real opportunity following 3-4-3, almost working in a probably our best spell of the season with performances sort of picking up a bit of zip and chances being created and there was no real reason to change that but some of the key figures decided was sort of came back in the likes of Ryan Shawcross and we reverted back to 4-2-3-1 which did not handle Southampton well at all in the first 20 minutes or so it felt like being back in September again where Spurs and Palace were thumping us so I mean, while I do feel that it was a red card, I think the red card probably saved the game as well because it took all the attention away from what was quite an impotent attack from Stoke. Yeah, that's interesting uh, point you raise. I think uh, Bunny from Duck Magazine tweeted something to the effect of, had it remained 11 versus 11, we probably would have lost the game because the ten being reduced to 10 men kind of galvanised us into this uh, kind of dogged defensive performance. Whereas had it been a more open game, you feel they would have picked us off perhaps a bit more easily. Uh, we'll just uh, now play you some clips from our roving reporters who are at the game in midweek. First of all, 
first of all we've got Tom Thrower and then Dom Smith and then Lucian Finch all giving their verdicts on the game against Southampton. Amazing performance defensively today. Two big shout outs. The first has to go to Marko Arnautovic for seeing how poor we were playing and knowing that if he got sent off we would get much, much, much better. And the other has to go to Jay Rodriguez who clearly didn't want to score against the team of his agent. So yeah, Jay, feel free to come and play against Stoke whenever you like, mate. Right then, Southampton game Wednesday night. And I want to talk about Anthony Taylor because of his terrible game management at refereeing the game. The Arnautovic incident itself was probably a red card and we can't really argue with that. But he allowed Arnautovic to get wound up by a few poor decisions leading up to that. And he did the same against Spurs where he sent Sparky to the stand and we lost our discipline. My only concern there, though, is that Stoke players need to keep their heads when decisions do go against us. But Anthony Taylor seems to be a ref that's particularly poor at managing games. You only have to look at the Chelsea-Man uh, City game the other week to see that. So I think that Anthony Taylor did do a terrible job of refereeing the game. But likewise, we do need to keep our heads when decisions go against us, which we don't seem to be very good at. Uh, Lucian here for Roving Reporter. Just got out of the game. Um, came all the way to, from Australia to um, witness quite, you know, it was a quite dull game. Partially, partially ruined by the uh, sending off of Anatovic. But, you know, Soko are quite resilient um, and did well to fend off uh, Southampton for the game. Solid defending, and it just shows that, you know, compared to the start of the year, we have a much much uh, better defence and solid unit back there. So all in all, it was a, it was, it was a good result um, uh, considering that red card. And yeah, on to Saturday. Thank you very much for those guys. So yeah, a really resilient defensive display. Southampton probably should have scored. Definitely Jay Rodriguez will be kicking himself, wondering how he didn't convert. But in in light of the Leicester game, this Southampton game looks like a missed opportunity, in a sense, doesn't it? Because we we wanted at least three points from these two games, and within 20 minutes of Southampton, or or you could argue with the team sheet against Southampton, we kind of threw it away. Yeah, exactly. And I think obviously this the fixture list is only going to get harder, sort of post Boxing Day now with Liverpool and Chelsea to come. And Leicester on paper was no easy test either. So I feel like Southampton was probably the game that of all of them recently we had to win. And, you know, there's always going to be questions over the the team selections, but you looked at the 11 and you looked at the bench and there was just no real creativity, nothing really to change the game. But then, as I say, as soon as Arnautovic came off, there was no need to, in a sense you could defend doggedly and have the heroic performance it had where people came away sort of really fired up. Yes, this was a great performance. Well, if it was 11 versus 11, even if it did, didn't did sort of capitulate and end with Southampton winning, would nil-nil have been good at 11 v 11 or would we have gone home and bemoaned the fact that we struggled to create any chances again? Because there was there was very little chance of us winning it with 10 we didn't look at much better well any better with 11 we were constantly on the back foot I think that an art which is sending off meant that we could drop back and almost deflect 
the fact that we're not looking very potent up front at all. And there's a consistent debate now about who our best striker is. And obviously, Walters is leading the line at the moment. And I spoke on Twitter a couple of weeks ago about what the actual benchmark is for a striker now for to be considered good at Stoke. Because people talk about putting a shift in, people talk about goals, but we've got one of the lowest sort of striking goal tallies of the season now. And that doesn't look like getting any better. So I'm just wondering what on earth is going on up front. Yeah, that's a big issue uh, that has sort of plagued our season, really. The uh, issue of A, who to play up front and B, how we kind of fit that striker in the team. Because it seems to me when we have on Artovich and Shakiri their style isn't suited to, you know, getting across into the big man. It isn't suited to, you know, really kind of forceful uh, number nine types, if you like. I, th- I think they they play best with a false nine. Now, whether that means we should play a false nine is a different question entirely. But, yeah, we've never fully adapted to a particular striker and, a, and we haven't had the same striker in for a, for a run of games which just seems uh, counterproductive to me. I mean, Bonnie, we thought, was going to be this great saviour for us, and he's completely out of Mark Hughes' plans now. Yeah, I think that's been a a real shame, because the game against Swansea, we were sort of getting there. It was one of our better performances of the season. Bonnie obviously bagged a couple of goals, and that looked like we were, after a few sort of tentative performances, he was starting to click. Then one bad performance at Bournemouth, I believe, and all this stuff in the papers come out about... <laughs> his claws and China being interested and since then he's just been out of the team I don't know what's if something's gone on sort of in the back in the back staff there but I, I that can't be a coincidence surely they must they must know he's off and I mean he wouldn't be here for January anyway but I just feel like we're not playing to the strengths of any of our strikers I took a look at Walters for example since January 2015 all of his Premier League goals have been one-touch finishes. Now that implies sort of get him into those positions the likes against Norwich last season where he slid in in the, the far post Bournemouth at home last season and out of which squared to him and he finished and you saw against Burnley again it was sort of in the six yard box or there or thereabouts it's almost poacher style finishing which is what people have been calling for we need a sort of fox in the box poacher kind of strikers with him and Juve with their one touch finishes we've probably got them but the issue is we're not actually getting our strikers into a position to do it like these strikers shouldn't be picking the ball at 40 yards out or something we should be getting the ball into the box similar to how Leicester did yesterday to start creating some chances and indeed yesterday's chances I know we're about to go on to the Leicester game but some of our best opportunities came from crosses coming into the box so while there's a question mark over strikers there's a common theme that they all come alive when the ball's played into dangerous areas. We've got to do that. Yeah, absolutely. We'll uh, move on to the Leicester game then, because I think uh, this has definitely been the uh, most important of the two games, if you like. It's been the game that's kind of dominated most of the conversation. It's been the most controversial. It's been the most disappointing. It's been a lot of things. Uh, We'll first uh, listen to... Dom and Lucian again, uh, both roving reporters who were at the game yesterday. Leicester game, Saturday afternoon, and all I can say really is substitutions. Hughes just can't seem to make them, and 
I think this was finally the straw that broke the camel's back in Stoke fans' frustration at Hughes' substitutions. We were against 10 men and obviously had the extra advantage with a with a fresh pair of legs. And in the first half, we took advantage of that and were fine. However, the second half, we got to 60 minutes, 65 minutes, and we were still on top. Still looked like the most likely to score the third goal rather than them. But he, he didn't bring anyone on, and they did. And the fresh legs advantage was gone, and we, we drew. Lucien here is roving on Potter. Well, Stoke drew 2-2 with Leicester after being up 2-0 at half-time. And they were, you know, had a red card. I think, in my opinion, Hughes drew us that match. Um, you know, I understand playing conservatively, but... I mean, it's just in those situations, you just got to look to kill the game off. We only made a positive change, uh, what, in the 90th minute with Ramadan coming on. It was just terrible management. Um, sitting back and just inviting them on. Uh, and just inviting them on. I thought if we put a positive change on earlier, it would have been a much better result. But... Thanks, guys. Now, there's a, a hell of a lot to get into about this game. We'll start with the team sheet. Back to three at the back again. Um, Johnson, Shawcross and Martins in deep. Munier's not even making the bench. I believe he had uh, a knock of some kind. Uh, Shakiri was benched. Uh, obviously, Onatovic suspended. So, Allen and Bojan kind of sat behind Walters, if you like, in this uh, weird uh, kind of 3-4-3 three, three kind of thing that we're playing. Were you happy with the team? Because I, I think I probably was. I w- I was concerned with a lack of width up front, but I think it was an exciting proposition at two o'clock. Yeah, I think I I would agree. I think the, he definitely sprung a few surprises in there. Um, Bojan being thrown straight back in was interesting. Um, I I had a feeling that Mamadouf would come in for Shakiri, following sort of him getting a lot of plaudits at Southampton for his cameo performance when Shakiri went off. And obviously, we're going to have to manage Jordan over the festive break because obviously he's not the most sort of sturdy of players in terms of injuries so it made sense to to give him a rest um, I think the inclusion of Imbula in midfield was interesting and to have Imbula, Allen and Bojan on the pitch was a real good opportunity for us to see maybe a future sort of midfield being built there and it was a, a nice mix of mobility, passing and creativity in midfield um, Walters up front as I've said before, he's he's put to to quote others. He puts in a good shift. He didn't do much wrong at Southampton, and I've fully expected him to see up front. Whether he's our best option on or not remains to be seen. But if Juve's going to be used as a wing back, then we've not really got much else up front if Bonnie's not being used. So yeah, I was quite happy with the with the side. Um, obviously, having Sobby and and Goy back on the bench as well offered a little bit of optimism, which was sort of destroyed <laughs> come five o'clock. But, yeah, it, on paper, it looked like a really good s- squad, and I felt like that we were actually going to compete, and obviously in the first half we did. Yeah, uh, a fantastic first half for Stoke. That A first half that you couldn't, you couldn't ask for more from in terms of the position we were in. 2-0 uh, up, a Bojan penalty, and Joe Allen with the goals... Um, I think we, we were playing some quite good stuff this first half. It, it wasn't spectacular, but uh, we took advantage of the red card. I thought the 
passing and interplay between Imbula, Allen and Bojan was very good. Uh, we looked exciting. There was a couple of times where we uh, kind of got ourselves in good positions and I thought, we're, we're, we're cooking here, 2-0 up uh, against 10 men uh, and they just completely lost their heads. It was like Spurs against Chelsea uh, at the end of last season where they just were just giving away some ridiculous fouls and some quite dangerous fouls as well, I thought. I thought there was one challenge on Bojan that was just kind of pathetic, really. Um, and to see their fans hurling coins at the ref and Claudio Ranieri to storm onto the pitch to confront the ref kind of demonstrated to me that we've got these exactly where we want yeah. them. They've completely, they've completely melted. Exactly, exactly. It was as good of a first-half performance as you could have imagined. There was, there was good play... And it was largely dominant in their half as well. This not what we've necessarily seen for sort of a full forty-five minutes at Stoke this season. It was we were taking the the initiative. There was lovely play in midfield. There was they were playing the ball wide to Johnson and Juve, who who were taking turns to overlap, and Peters on the other side. Boyan and Allen were also moving wide, and there was there was dangerous chances. Sort of Walter's near post came to mind where the ball was being drilled in, and those are the exact sort of positions that he will thrive on. So it was good for us to, to actually see crosses going into the box. Even for the penalties, that came off by Young keeping a chance alive from a cross. So it was good to see us actually getting the ball into the box, into those dangerous situations. Um, a quick note on Vardy. I believe it it was a penalty. Yes, it was we'll, a we'll... red card, sorry. And yeah. any attempts from match of the day or otherwise to play it down with downright bizarre. No one falls with the intention of then straightening their legs for a two-footed lunge. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think the excuses being made for Vardy have been quite pathetic, really. And I think Gary Lineker may have a lot to answer for in that he might have led the opinion uh, the other way, if you like, that he didn't deserve a red card. Uh, uh, there was there was a load of Leicester fans who rang in 606 yesterday and were having a go at Robbie Savage for saying it was a red card. And they were like, oh, it's not as bad as Rojo's challenge from Man United, which uh, didn't get a red card. Fine, it's not as bad a challenge as that, and Rojo should have been sent off. But it was an idiotic challenge to make. And first of all, the oh, Vardy was nudged, and apparently when you're nudged, that means you uh, raise both feet off the ground. is just ridiculous. It reminded me of some of the excuses that were made for Shawcross uh, in the wake of the Ramsey challenge. Uh, was when people, like tried to dissect it and claim it, oh, he was knocked off balance by Bentner or whatever. And it's just none of that. Vardy's raised his legs. It's a poor challenge. Okay, it might not be as dangerous as some other challenges, but it's a red card. You can't do that. Indeed. And it was it was also a penalty, which, again, oh my people God. were trying to download. When I, when I go to block a ball, I don't naturally put my, my arm up above my head. Well... Good, good for you, Jermaine Genus, but unfortunately, it shouldn't be up there. It's blocked across going into the box. What more yeah. do you want? In what universe is that a natural position for anything? It's completely bizarre how Genus can claim that that's not a penalty. It's it's the, probably the most clear cut of all the decisions the referee made in that game. It, I, I, I don't know why that there's been such controversy around what I think are two really clear-cut uh, incidents. Of course, I would think that because I'm a Stoke Yeah, fan, well, I mean, but... given the last few weeks, you've got Jacker's tackle, you've got 
the elbows from the likes of Barnes on Martin's Indy. We must be watching a different game of football altogether each week. Because if it's because mm. there's so much going on on the pitch that I guess the neutrals yeah. but don't agree with. But I guess it just fit the narrative yesterday, especially in the in the wake of full time. It was the referee yeah. in the world versus plucky champions Leicester. Leicester, it's pl- plucky Leicester. Yeah, it's baffling to me how Danny Murphy can be so hypocritical. Because Danny Murphy was. Uh, one of the those saying it's not a red car for Vardy, whereas Danny Murphy, when he was a player, massively slagged off Stoke and Tony Pulis as being like, oh, they they throw in dangerous challenges all the time, kind of thing. And come come on, Danny, that is a dangerous challenge. I, I'm I'm exasperated with with that as a kind of argument. Yeah, they then they glossed over the coin throw nicely as well, so. Yeah, but, I mean, coming out in the second half, it was the same eleven as expected. It must, I must admit, even though you'd expect it right, we'll shut up shop straight away. The first 15, 20 minutes, Stoke was still pushing hard, and it was good to see that we were sort of pressing that in their area. Um, Juve putting an excellent ball in for Walters, who nearly made it three nil. But apart from that, the same old routine started to come in there was very little movement yeah. in the final third play was static Eric Peters had a whole acre of land to himself each time and nothing came of it and you just seem to get more and more frustrated Ranieri <coughs> took the initiative brought on Demarai Gray for some pace out wide to break which was a good decision and he also brought on Leonardo Ujoa someone who I rate very highly by the way and you could see straight away they were just going to go counter, ball in the box, and get shots on target. And yeah, that's exactly what happened for the for the first goal. And then that was it. There was, n- as someone on Twitter said earlier, there was not a single fan that thought at two one we're going to hold on to this. It became all too familiar. Yeah, and I think this is this is Hughes's big problem. Yeah, you should. Once, once Leicester scored, as you said, there was like, we're, we're going to throw this away, aren't we? Because we had just completely taken our foot off the gas. Uh, after the Walters chance, I don't think we really threatened at all. We were we were slow, we were ponderous, we were just not clicking at all. It was like we'd sent out a completely different team. And Leicester were on the front foot, clearly. And Hughes didn't respond to this at all. He didn't think right what's the way to either shut down their play or try and press for a third goal he just froze for me he brought charlie adam on uh and a i thought that that substitution was a bit too late anyway b i don't know what charlie adam was supposed to do when he did came on um peters as you say had acres of land to himself but he's not a wing back Eric Peters has many fine qualities, but bombing down the left and crossing balls in is not one of them. He is far from a uh, swashbuckling uh, fullback. Yeah, indeed. I think Peters got a lot of flack yesterday, and he has done for this season. Um, taking a look at his sort of numbers breakdown for the season, how he sort of compares to a, um, the fullbacks, those around him, I think he does quite well on the defensive front. Um, up against the likes of Leighton Baines, Chris Brunt, Ryan Bertrand. He sort of comes out quite admirably. 
um, only to be toppled by George Friend, who's having an excellent season for Middlesbrough. But um, attacking-wise, sort of pass completion is a good 10% lower than Leighton Baines's on average for the season. Chances created, he creates about half a chance a game, whereas the likes of Brent, Baines and Bertrand are creating a good ch- one, one and a half chances a game. So we're seeing his limitations as going forward. And as you say, <clears throat> I think the, the move to 3-4-3 and using him as a win-back has really exposed him there. And whether that's his fault, I don't know. But unfortunately, as you say, there was a wing- there was a perfectly good winger or two on the bench yesterday that could have run at that tiring yeah. Leicester defence. They were both... Both fullbacks were on yellows. And to not exploit that just smacked of complete lunacy yeah. really it, if eric p eric peters can't cross for one thing the best crosses eric peters does is when he misses it so so much it goes in the goal <laughs> and yeah ramadan the sight of ramadan coming on at 92 minutes was one of the most sad and tragic things i've seen all season yeah because what's the point that was the game was that gone was by just a slap point. in the face really for everyone and yeah for him or the most I mean we're about to lose him in January to the African Cup of Nations and I think the way we've used used him so sparingly since then has been ridiculous there's no there's no fear of oh he's a youth he should be bedded in slightly no we've seen that he can handle himself attack offensively and defensively in that spell against Swansea and West Ham and even holding the cup early in the season he can do it he can defend he can attack there, there was literally no reason for it and you you can't tell me that him or Jordan Shakiri couldn't have coaxed a second yellow card out of Danny Simpson yesterday but it was just sheer frustration but unfortunately you knew it was coming um, I guess Adam was brought on for Bojan a lot of people were sort of angry at that decision but I felt that Bojan was sort of flagging a bit so it made sense to take him off we didn't have that many options yeah. available anyway sort of in midfield and I can't wait for Jeff Cameron to be back for one but yeah I guess Adam was on just it was almost another man in midfield to get those ta- challenges in but it was already too late that they were pinned back and the ball in for the second goal was fantastic and it was a great header it was just a really good goal yeah. all round but you just knew it was happening that's where the floods started to come down from the stands and people had just had enough there was abuse being hurled on the yeah. pitch yeah th- this was the thing for me it was so inevitable because we've seen Stoke do this before even when we've won games this season the second halves or last 30 minutes have been ponderous and slow and I think Watford may have been the exception but even at Watford the last 20 minutes or so we were inviting pressure on yeah I think the and the only time that comes to mind it's the la- lately that we've actually attacked in the last in the last stages was at Old Trafford when we needed a, a goal for a result yeah. the rest as you say I think someone pointed out yesterday that we've been up 2 0 up something like three times already this season at half time, and we have made no attempt whatsoever to try and extend that to 3 0 in the second half. It's always been the same script played out. Yeah, and I understand that when it's 11 v 11 and you're playing better teams, but 10 men there for the taking. All it, all it, te- all it took was bringing someone who, who was decent on the counter attack. That that was all it was. We we could have sprung plenty of counters on, but we. I, I think the players do have to accept some responsibility as well. I thought the link-up play was nowhere as good. Players weren't showing for as many passes. Uh, we were making poor decisions. Uh, there was a lot of 
uh, wasted possession when we did actually get some uh, and you can't really blame Hughes for, for that but um, yeah just make, making the same mistakes over and over again just so frustrating and just to piss up two points it's just oh, it's God. the little things as well it's the, it's the stupid offsides that break up momentum in particular yeah like Walters is obviously an obvious suspect of this and there were moments yesterday where it, it was it was just daft offsides and there were huge groans from the crowd that it was just completely wasteful Interestingly, in terms of how who scored saw the the ratings, I actually had um, Ryan Shawcross as one of the the worst performers yesterday. Yeah, I don't think he had his uh, finest game. Well, I don't. People are asking um, whether he's fit he, he, or not. Given he just yeah, he looked very tentative. There was one moment early on where I think he was he almost found himself in a foot race with Vardy, uh, and he made a couple of passes that put us under pressure. Um, so yeah, I to be honest, I think if Muniesa is fully fit, I'd start him over Shawcross at the moment. That's interesting. I feel uh, like those three. I think Indy, Shawcross, and Muniesa in a back three. I'd like to see that. Um, Johnson, yes, I would too. Johnson as a wing back, or even sort of Peters as a centre half. Muniesa as a wing back, for example, either or, and actually push Juf up. Because obviously he's sort of becoming the the cult hero of the season, Mamie Juf. But yeah. while he's putting the effort in and stuff, it's he's got I think one assist this season, no goals. It's for a wide player and an attacking player. I guess you'd want to see a bit more. But then again, we're not really seeing much around the pitch. It's the odd goal here and there. I think that there was a stat this morning that we've scored twenty four goals in 21 games at the Bet365 this calendar year which is someone sort of remarked it's almost binary and it's just been a yeah. really really weird year at Stoke to be honest it feels like while there was the cup final push there was ninth place again it was arguably one of the weakest seasons ever last season and while we're picking it up now yeah. it's, it's on the pitch it doesn't look uh, yeah. like we're going anywhere if not backwards I feel like, yeah, that's how I describe our calendar year as, as a whole, really. It's one step forward, two steps back. We've made good signings this year. Joe Allen, Imbula, good, really good players. They've been, you know, in, in theory, added to our squad depth. But we don't know what to do with them. We've, uh, you know, picked up a, a good run of results. Um, and then we throw, uh, throw a curveball by losing at home to Bournemouth and not beating... Southampton and Leicester at home. We just kind of we we Hughes seems so unsure of himself, and it was telling that we've gone from three four three to forty three one against Southampton, and then back to three four three again. When I'll, I'll think of a salient point in a minute, but first we'll have a email from Jack Hollingsworth. Uh, interesting email actually. Uh, see if you agree with this, Jason. I just feel let down. I travelled to Stoke from Brighton and go away games. Uh, 30 out of 38 or around that and there are so many times I come away wishing to see the players just show a bit more passion to play for the club I understand that motive and tactics play a huge part in how players approach games but I'm still yet to see anyone come onto the pitch and physically run themselves down I'm not asking players to constantly perform at a high level I would just like love to see players like Bojan or Shakiri run a lot harder and really give a sense of passion about winning 
There are too many games where players don't perform great and just look like they can't be bothered. I think this is the main problem at the club. I understand that we are expanding and growing in talent, but the fundamental value of leaving everything on the pitch is missing by 90%, 90% of our players. Even at the start of the warm-up, there is no togetherness about the team. On Saturday, Leicester came out as a team and fought and died as a team and they got a result. We came out expecting to walk over them and we got punished. I think we're all lying to ourselves if we think we are a Europa League contender. Without tactics and teamwork, we'll never push higher than around 10th. I'd rather lose a few flair players who don't always put 100% in. I'm not saying I, I want players like Adam or Crouch to play because, frankly, they are rubbish now out of their depth. But I need to see players giving everything for the fans who travel miles week in and out to see them. Last year, we spent £4,000 going to football games to see Stoke. That's a day's wages for players, yet they can't understand that's a few months of pay. We don't want to waste our money seeing lazy people think they are better than the club. I just want to see passion. Jason, thoughts wow, on that? that was quite an email. Um... Firstly, I understand completely and sort of respect the people that can spend thousands of pounds a year to go and watch it, and I can un- I can understand how every emotion sort of heightened there. Um, with regards to passion on the pitch, I mean, I really don't, I don't know. The likes of Shakiri and stuff, they can jeer up the crowd, and their their play more than anything will be the stuff that will get the the fans going. I don't think they're going to be the likes to chase a couple of passes across the back line 30-40 yards and with Shakiri's hamstrings I don't think I'd want him to either um, with some of the attackers I guess the flair players, likes of Bojan and stuff I don't want him sort of terrassing around the whole pitch. I want him to see see him come alive when he needs to sort of similar to a forward almost, if you think of Ricardo Fuller how he was in his prime like you wouldn't see him sort of launching around the pitch too much but when it came to it he knew what he had to do when he picked up the ball he came alive and that's sort of what I'd expect there it's not just sort of the flair players I mean I, I've become a bit sort of disenchanted with that term to be honest because Marko Arnautovic was considered a flair player when he joined and now he's sort of the epitome of what fans want to see in terms of sort of effort grit and stuff he's one of those who probably fits the stereotype yet wears, wears his heart on his sleeve and goes out all the time um, with yeah yeah, I can I can understand the frustration but I think there's more to what goes on on the pitch than just sort of beating your chest running around a lot and waving your arms so I think yeah. the players I... I do think that as you sort of alluded to players sort of respond to the system they're in as well if things aren't working on the pitch and they look frustrated it's not that they can't be bothered it may just be frustration with how it's not working against the opposition and then there needs to be sort of a tactical element to that as well you won't see them, you won't see heads dropping when things are going well for example when everything's starting to click on the pitch so I think it's a bit of, it's a bit two way and I don't think we're, we're going to see it turn anytime soon into anything better there may be, there's been a few games lately where say Southampton where the crowd started getting poisonous and you wanted the sort of galvanised players to come out and really fight for it but it shouldn't yeah. they shouldn't be sort of tearing around wearing the heartless sleeve at the expense of a result one person runs out of position and then there's a goal or they've been running around for 70 minutes they're exhausted and we get picked off late on which has happened well it happened yesterday for one so I think there's got to be calmness when there needs to be but they just need to get a couple of wins 
under the belt, and then as soon as we start winning again, everything will be fine. Yeah, uh, on this email, uh, I disagree with the suggestion that players like Bojan aren't passionate. You could see from his goal celebration yesterday, he's clearly passionate. It clearly means a lot to him. There's a difference between the passion you show uh, in terms of you know, like running around uh, kind of aimlessly and there's a different and it's different for different players I guess is my point the but Bojan isn't gonna you know run around like a blue ass fly trying to win back every tackle but you can't tell me that he doesn't care because he, he's just he's just not gonna do that because why would you want Bojan running around trying to chase every ball down because he's, he's a number 10 he's a diminutive playmaker there's there's it's horses for courses. Different players give you different things, and it, we if we played a team of John Walters who were running around for us all day, we'd lose. Same way, if we played a team of Bojans, we'd also lose because there there has to be a balance. And I don't agree with the assessment that the players didn't care. Like, look at them at full time; they clearly cared. They they cocked up big style, but that's a, a tactical thing. It's a performance thing. It's a skill thing it's not a passion thing for yeah, me i think people but, i think okay. fans respond to moments more than performances like you look at some of like glenn whelan was putting in a couple of sort of crunching slide tackles to block to um block wingers out wide yesterday and that got a good response from the fans um the one that springs to mind obviously was at the end of last season when ryan shawcross took it upon himself to bomb forward that was something that picked the whole crowd it was just one little moment and I think that's all it takes. It doesn't necessarily to be a full 90-minute thing, but if players are doing the job and then can produce one thing that gets people going, be it a mazy run, be it a terrific last-ditch block, if you're a defender or a superb save, those are the moments that sort of lift spirits. And it's just we've not had much of that lately, apart from, I guess, Lee Grant's heroics. And I think that speaks a lot as well, that probably our two, two of our best players this season have been Grant and Indy. And they've both been defenders, so. And they're both yeah, on loan. Both on loan. It's been a, yeah, it's been a weird season, and you can see heads drop when when goals get conceded, particularly in the second half when they've battled for so long. When tiredness sets in, mistakes set in, and you can feel it sort of from the crowd that they get discontent there. They know what's coming. So yeah, I understand the frustration. I just don't think that sort of the beating of the chest is going to solve, solve it really okay uh, we'll uh, delve into some correspondence then we've got another big email here um, and then we've got some stuff on Twitter we can talk about because uh, this game certainly stirred up a lot of emotions uh, both positive and negative uh, so we'll get into this email from Mick uh, thanks for emailing Mick he says hello you wanted views in on yesterday's game Let's be on very honest here. The truth is that it was reflective of much of this season. Things were more obvious, but it's been fairly typical. We set up exactly the same home and away. 4-3-3, 4-5-1 is fine for playing away and trying to hit teams on the break, but I feel a lack of genuine pace out wide and through the middle means we don't create enough. At home, though, this season really get this system really gets shown up. We regularly end up on the back foot, as happened yesterday, and have no escape route. We give the impetus away and allow teams to pin us back. Oddly, being forced to defend against the Saints probably suit, suited. We know we 
couldn't get out and so didn't try. We were shown yesterday what brave football is about, though it's not digging in, it's trying to attack. We're now overloaded with diminutive number 10s while still being unable to replace Walters and Whelan. I love both those guys and have, and they've been wonderful servants to SCFC, however both are limited. Whelan slows the game down way too much and Walters lacks pace and certainty of finish. Both work hard, it shames other more talented players, but neither stretch teams. So we now look ponderous at home, don't pressure sides, brackets or frighten them, home or away, and lack the com combative streak we used to have. We desperately need width, pace and a genuine centre forward. Whilst the flaws in our system were shown, mag uh, were shown magnified yesterday, it's been happening for over 18 months now and must be addressed. Why not try Juve off Crouch? 3-5-2 may well have murdered Leicester yesterday. At home at least we need to give teams something more to think about. Would you fancy us in a relegation dogfight? After the next three games, we may find ourselves in one, and I'd be very worried indeed. Okay, thanks for that, Mick. Uh, sorry, I kind of butchered that. But, um, yeah, interesting points raised there. I think uh, this lack of width and pace is uh, certainly a common theme among many Stoke fans' compl uh, complaints. Yeah, I think it was a uh, really good email, oh, oh, go to on. be honest. Um, what he said about Southampton was absolutely perfect in the sense that it's sitting back suited them and playing for the draw. There was no need to attack, which is sort of what I said earlier. Um, the width and pace and stuff was, again, very true. You look at Southampton's 11 that they lined up, sort of Bufal, Redmond and Long up front, and you thought, this is great, this is pace, movement and stuff. If I was a Southampton fan, I'd be really happy with that. There's a nice mix of sort of trickery, players that can go wide, go inside. And you sort of turn to us and go, okay, we've got, a striker playing as a wing back and 33 year old John Walters up front <clears throat> you just I don't know does any team in the league have such a such a strange strike, strike force than ours I don't really know but yeah as I agree that sort of pace pace is key in the league you saw Vardy fire himself to the top of the table last season sort of built on a base of pace basically and what I, I was really relieved when he went off yesterday to be honest because I thought there's there's the breakout look gone they've just got Slimani up front who is a towering centre forward that Bruno could probably deal with and as, as someone said well, when will we change to a sort of pacey movement side and Someone on the Oakate replied that, well, when Hughes signed some of them, there's never really been a priority to sign pacey players. Sobby was signed in the summer, but he's not really a a breakneck pace, sort of Demare Gray style of player. He's a very good winger, um, controls the ball very well, good passing and creates chances, but he's not the sort of counter-style winger that you'd want, like Gray was yesterday. So yeah, I, I agree with quite a lot of what he said, in fairness. Yeah, do you worry about us getting dragged into a relegation? Um, I'm not sure about that. I think that, and if we did, I think we'd have enough to get out of it. Like Mark Arnautovic isn't becoming a club hero for nothing. Like he dragged us through a lot of the season last season, and I think he could probably do so again. We're not when I know it's sort of ifs and buts, but if we click, we're going to be sort of top 10 again but it's just not happening we've got enough good players and people say look at Newcastle look at Villa they had a lot of players they're not a big team and that's what dragged them down but 
Yeah, I can't see that yet, to be honest. And if we were in a relegation battle, I would fancy us to stay up because I've seen the state of some of the teams that are down at the bottom this season. And we've got to be better than that. Yeah. Um, some three-word reactions on Twitter. Hughes tactically inept. Registered charity, 1863. Throw it away. Need some pace. Make a sub. Inconsistency breathes inconsistency, and uh, particularly telling one saw it coming. Um, yeah, a lot of a lot of negativity uh, on Twitter. Uh, Reddit Stokey says he's still very Hughes out. Stoker said he woke up feeling like we lost. Uh, a bit of a a bit of light to go with that darkness from Cian Potter. He says, no Cameron, Bardsley, Muniesa were short of defensive options. He's disappointed, not annoyed. Football is a chaotic, random game at times. Yesterday was one of them. Let's move on. I think there's no question that we have to move on from this. It's just, uh, we're, I think we're still feeling the effects of uh, a very frustrating second half that was just... It was a gut punch. It, fe it felt worse than a, def a defeat, if, in a way. Yeah. Um, I thought if we'd have if we'd have lost two nil, you'd have been annoyed and uh, critical. But to have the game on a plate and then not win is just particularly galling, yeah, isn't I had, it? Um, the the annual Shawcross is not a captain thread popped up on the oatcake last night. And I said, this always pops up after mm. def a defeat, doesn't it? And someone had to point out we drew, but that's generally just... I think that summed it up. It felt like a defeat. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's... Well, we did this last season as well. We were against Leicester, where we threw it away, and it wound up 2-2. And I think yesterday was quite telling in terms of the support for Hughes. Like, long-term sort of... I guess defenders of him, um, fans and stuff have slowly started to reconsider whether this is it now. This is our ceiling. Yeah, it's raised a a big question about uh, about going to this fabled next level and whether Hughes is the right man to do that. What I found particularly uh, striking was uh, you you're about to get manager out after every game we lose on the Oakcake Forum because it's that kind of uh, bear pit kind of atmosphere where anyone can feel like they say whatever they want and so it wasn't surprising to see the volume of Hughes out uh, posters on there after yesterday but what I found particularly um, striking was that the default response to people wanting Hughes out isn't edit you know, rushing to the defensive Hughes' abilities as a manager, it's the question, who would you get in? Yeah. It's a perfectly <clears throat> fair question, and to be honest, I'm not entirely sure myself. Yeah. I think that response it's... grates me massively, to be honest, because it's not our yeah. job. It's not. It's almost not our problem. Like, we're not the ones hiring the management. We want someone better in, sure, we want someone different. It's up to the to club if they decide to identify someone better. We shouldn't have to if it's be like if you said we I need we should have a better striker at Stoke. Well, who do you want? Just someone that scores goals, someone that scores more goals. No, I need a name. Well, <laughs> I don't know. Like you just want you. To be honest, no one wants Hughes out if he turns it around. What they're not saying is I I, I want yeah. Hughes out. I want someone better in. They just want I want Stoke to win more. 
that's basically all it comes down to and they're looking at all the possibilities of how it's going to happen and if the team's not setting up properly they'll say oh the manager could be better and then well who well I don't know someone better and you should it's <laughs> it's difficult because you could say oh let's bring in I don't know Ancelotti and then Ancelotti does bad and he said but you thought it'd be better you don't know until you bring someone in but similarly I don't think that the club would rush to make such a decision um, Sam from Wizards pointed out this is probably the second time this season already that the fans have started to turn on Hughes sort of following the Crystal Palace Spurs run where we were shipping four goals a game yeah but I just can't see them making such a such a rash decision and ideally if they yeah. would this is probably the time to do it in a sense like if you were going to bring a new manager and you'd want to give them the January window to sort of bring their own men in yeah. so I think this is probably us for the season now uh, yeah, I think the only way that a they'd make that kind of a decision would be if we were suddenly dragged into a relegation fight. And even then, they may not even sack him. I, I think um, Hughes will be manager until the end of the season, uh, unless we suddenly like lose the next 10 or something drastic like that happens. But even then, but, um, Hughes' last season, he had a lot of patience with that second half of the season where that was yeah. abysmal form and that's what that's what I mean I don't yeah. think that they'll sort of react yeah react that badly Co- Coates is a very kind of loyal man to his managers and that's to be applauded I think in this day and age but the kind of big question is um, have we hit this ceiling um, also interesting response to some people who were like Hughes can't take us to the next level and some people responded with Oh, what's the next level? Do you want us to win the league? Do you want us to be in the Champions League? Get real. And like, no, there's there's, there's a shade of grey in between winning the league and being ninth. Yeah. You know, you, you, it, I, I know it's not, I know it's not like, oh, we, uh, losing 4-1 at home to Bristol Rovers. I know it's, I know we've come a long way. I know we're not in League 3 anymore. I know we're not playing in front of one man and his dog against old Etonians. But, it's expectations change based on based on success. That's just yeah, natural. They weren't at some point they decided that they wanted to be bigger than one man and his dog. And that's and they've moved up and that's yeah. pretty much where we are now. It's not people are scared of change. People are scared of moving. Of, forward. of asking yeah, for more. And there's nothing wrong with being ambitious. The top the top teams didn't get there when the league was formed. Like they've worked their way up. Yeah, exactly. And the likes of Tottenham have moved their way up. Everton, you look at Southampton, you look at even Leicester last season, do you think they were terrified at any point? Hang on, this is far too high for us. No, yeah. they... I, I, yeah. yeah. I know this is heady days for us. I know we've never been, apart from you know the 70s and stuff, we've never been this consistent and consistently high finishing in the top flight. And... It's been absolutely fantastic. Just just because uh, we were we've come a long way doesn't mean that a I'm not appreciative because that that's the, that's another uh, accusation that gets thrown at you. If you want more than you're currently on, you get uh, kind of labelled with being ungrateful. I'm I'm delighted that Stoke are a Premier League t- side. I'm over the moon that we're a top ten Premier League side. 
but sometimes I think we've spent millions and millions of pounds on exciting players, on skillful players, on flair players, uh, and I think there is definite potential there to finish higher than we have been. Yeah. I don't think that makes me uh, a Johnny Come Lately new fan because my first game we lost four one to Bristol Rovers. I sat through watching us. Uh, fail in the playoffs in the third tier so don't you know accuse me of being like just a ungrateful millennial whatever I want to see Stoke improve of course everyone wants to see Stoke improve and so questioning the management and questioning how we approach things isn't ungrateful it's just wanting Stoke to do well yeah I agree entirely and I guess we'll probably We'll have to review this probably in another few weeks when the hectic, festive spell and the first round of the FA Cup's out of the way. Because if if we're seeing yeah. a couple more defeats and an early exit in the cup, then it may be sort of that the pressure begins to mount. But then a surprise result against Liverpool, a nice draw against Chelsea, and a a nice win against Wolves, and suddenly everything's looking rosy ahead of a January window where Hughes can build, and he's already promised that he's looking for sort of first team quality so anything could happen between now and February and I think we're just going to have to wait it out but in the short term I think it, I think you're perfectly fine to be either way that like if you're if you're happy with it and recognise it's a blip and as people said yesterday if someone had, would have given you a point before kickoff yesterday you'd, pro- you'd probably have taken it it was just in the manner that we gained it that's heartbreaking unfortunately so yeah, we'll have to see how it goes but I think there's there's certainly more growing criticism of of Mark Hughes and his and his tactical approach it's particularly the substitutions of, yeah. as we've mentioned before Julian yeah. Ngoi Ramadan Sobby on the bench yesterday weren't even on the bench on Wednesday and you just yeah it's just it's just coming back to this word inconsistency again isn't it it's just inconsistency in tactics in performance and in results and I think that's the that's what we've got to look to yeah, address really. Um, okay. Yeah, uh, I think that's a good point to say goodbye. Thank you very much for joining me, Jace. Thanks for uh, making a glorious return no to problem. the podcast. Uh, shame about the uh, shame about the games that we had to talk about, but you know, two points it's better than zero, and you know what, we're going to go to Anfield and we're going to bloody try. Um, there's one mug left for sale. Uh, if you want that, just tweet at Wizards of Drivel. Uh, Jace is at SEFC Jace on Twitter. I'm at David Cowlishaw. Uh, hopefully, on Christmas Eve, we'll be looking to release uh, a Christmas special, which won't be as miserable as this episode has been, we, we promise. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Please subscribe on iTunes. Go on, Stoke. <laughs>